Hello, listeners. This is David Blakesley. Welcome you to episode 81 of the Criterion Reflections podcast. Our topic today is three feminist films of 1971. We are going to be talking about a trio of films, part of a very large set that's been put together by the Criterion Collection under the banner of Tell Me. Uh, these are films made by women and uh, sometimes with, with men involved as well in the production, but really telling the stories of the female experience from a lot of different walks of life, starting in the early 1970s and going all the way up to last year. If you look at the Criterion Channel's lineup, it's a pretty impressive uh, selection, 24 films altogether. And because a few of them fall into my timeline here on Criterion Reflections, where at this point in the journey, we're talking about films from 1971, I've selected three of them. Uh, the first one, Growing Up Female, is the earliest film in that set, followed by Janie's Janie. And then I did maybe cheat a little bit on my timeline because the third film, Joyce at 34, has a 1972 release date, even though it was largely filmed in 1971. So um, this is a very intriguing collection, one that speaks to me on a very personal level. Uh, because these were years when I was growing up as a child. And uh, I look at some of the situations, some of the, the uh, interviews, the, 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 the people and the, and the scenarios that are put on film here. And it's like, boy, I can see little echoes of my own life in here. So uh, I'm eager to jump into this. But I've got a couple of guests today. These are new voices on my podcast. And uh, at the same time, they are very experienced podcasters themselves, even though they haven't been in this particular, uh, you know, mode or media for too long. Uh, but let's go ahead and welcome our guests. Uh, this is uh, Stephanie Conti and Savannah Lanose from the Purple Noon podcast. Uh, Stephanie, let's start with you. Hello and welcome to the show. Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, I'm very look very much looking forward to our conversation. This has been in the works for a couple of weeks, and I've got a little bit more to say about how this, uh, you know, this kind of connection was formed. Uh, but let's also welcome Savannah. Savannah, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's really it's really great. Um, you know, we. Um, We've been talking for a few weeks now, and uh, you know, as as some listeners will know, my mother recently passed away, which kind of slowed down our schedule a little bit. But you know, all in all, it, it's good with me. I'm I'm at a place where I'm able to you know put personal situations in a bit of context, and uh, you know, resume this this hobby, if you will, this interest, this uh, long term study that I've been involved with, uh, studying great cinema. And, uh, and what happened, uh, at the beginning of May, when I be, you know, when I realized that the Criterion uh, channel was going to put this bundle of feminist films together is I started thinking, well, who I, would I like to have on to, to talk about these movies? Um, let's just face it, guys, <laughs> most of the <laughs> guests that I have had on this program are men and I love you all. And, it, and it's been a really, you know, fun process. And, uh, you know, there's been a few women here and there who've been on. But I really thought to myself, you know, for these particular films, I really need to get some female voices involved here. And it got me sort of, you know, wondering who might I invite. And there was a day, I think sometime in early May, where I was actually just cooking dinner in my kitchen and uh, kind of scrolling around social media, just kind of passing the time. And on my Instagram feed, I saw uh, a link to Purple Noon podcast. 
and uh, it somehow caught my attention. Uh, the movie Purple Noon is where you, where your guys' prod, podcast draws its name and inspiration from, and it's a, fi- a film that I really appreciate quite a bit as well. We did an episode on it for the Criterion Cast Mainline episode a few years ago, and it's a film that's really stuck with me. So uh, I kind of just clicked on the link, looked into it a little bit, and said, "Oh, this is an interesting perspective here. These are these are two young women who are." digging into classic cinema, you know, criterion related and otherwise. And I started listening and I says, you know what? I think there might be something here. <laughs> and so I reached out to Stephanie and Savannah and um, they were very graciously receptive to uh, my inquiry. And we got to talking uh, through, you know, text, social, uh, you know, uh, Instagram, instant messages, etc. And we've been kind of, you know, batting this back and forth for, for the past few weeks and now here we are, finally ready to talk about these three films. So I want to thank you both for um, accepting my invitation, and I'm very eager to hear what you have to say about these movies. But before we get into you know the, the films themselves, let me just give you both a chance to kind of introduce yourself to our listeners, tell us about your podcast, and maybe even any other projects or interests. Um, Stephanie, I'll call it, give, give you the first swing at it. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, your podcast, and all of that. So as of right now, well, my name is Stephanie Conti, and currently right now I am a college student going into full-time college student in the fall, Um, but I've been part-time college student. Um, In between that, I am a writer, director, and I've worked on movies and stuff like that as an assistant. And yeah, in between doing Purple Noon, the podcast, as of lately, I've just been of creating and writing. And that's typically what I do. And that's typically what I'm known for, I say. Like when you think of, when I think of myself as a person, I think the first word that people comes into mind is like, oh, film nerd. So that's me in a nutshell. That's great. And uh, excuse me a second here. Um, Okay, I'm sorry. The the film came up <laughs> and was on audio there, so I'm a little bit thrown off, but we're we're good now. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, that you know, so film nerd, creative per- personality. Uh, you've got a lot of interesting things going on. Savannah, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, I'm Savannah. Um, kind of on the same page as Stephanie. I've always been a film nerd since I was about seven. Um, film has definitely been a big part of my life, my number one hobby for sure. Um, and yeah, our podcast was kind of formed because me and Stephanie are, we are well, we're cousins, but our friendship is, you know, kind of rooted in the fact that we both have this love for film and not a lot of people our age want to talk about movies like Purple Noon and, and things like that. So yeah, about, I would say a month, a month and a half ago, we decided to make Purple Noon and it's, it's been awesome. It's really been impressive. I mean, like I say, you just started like what in March. And so I, you know, I tapped on the link. I saw that you had a few episodes up, but it was like, wow, this has really come together pretty quickly. And one of the things, well, Thank there's you. several things. Yeah, absolutely. There's several things that impressed me about what you're doing. First of all, it is the range of films. I mean, you're talking about Criterion films, but you're really including kind of a, a nice variety. You're talking about recent releases, uh, things that might be a little bit more familiar to kind of your peer group but you don't seem to shy away from some of the you know heavyweight art house classics you're also incredibly prolific you're you've been putting out three episodes a week pretty steadily and i'm like 
you know, bless you for all that energy. <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, we, we talked a little bit. I think some of this is due to this a little bit more at the downtime, you know. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. just tell us a little bit about your 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 format for the for the show and, and why uh, you know, and how you've decided to, you know, you know, set up the production schedule that you have all of that. So in terms of like our format for the show, so as of right now, at this current time, we are doing three episodes a week with at least one Criterion episode being discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, as David had, when David and us were, when we were first talking, one of his biggest shocks were like, you guys are doing it in alphabetical order, not spine number. And I thought doing it in alphabetical order, you know, going through um, at least once a week on Fridays, we go through alphabetical order of criterions and not only criterions found within the collection, but criterions that have been now put on their channel. So we kind of go through A to Z. Well, now we're in the numbers. So it technically goes numbers to Z. Um, And I thought it was a good way of us doing it because it adds a sense of diversity um, because with every single different film, you're getting something entirely different, whether it's by a different director, uh, set in a different country or a completely different genre, it adds a, a lot of variety. Mm-hmm. And then currently with our three week, uh, three days a week schedule, we have the Criterion Day, the alphabetical order is first. Then it goes to my pick. We talk about a film either I want to see or something I've just always wanted to talk about. And then the last pick, the, the Sunday pick would be Savannah's pick. And that's what she would want to see or what she wants to talk about. So that's kind of like how the the schedule is as of right now for us. And I mean, I think it works. It gives us every week is different. You know, as of right now, we've only been doing this, I want to say five weeks, maybe six weeks. Mm -hmm. And there's no week that has been similar yet. So and I I enjoyed that. It really I feel like as of right now doing this, it sees to a bigger mass of people with doing it like this way. Well, yeah, and it doesn't seem like you've been, you know, all that daunted by the challenge. You, you, like I say, there's a lot of diversity. Uh, the fact that you're picking the things that you kind of want to, as far as your personal interests, but also just sort of taking on whatever the sequence presents. And I, and I am intrigued by this alphabetical order thing because I've, you know, I've seen many podcasts and blogs over the years who start with the spine numbers. You know, the conventional Criterion Collection uh, DVD and Blu-ray releases, and it's sort of creates a certain sameness if you don't mind my saying so because <laughs> people who, who do it they kind of cover the same films in the same sequence i've been doing it chronologically since 2009 and i guess i say that for the benefit of your listeners who might be tuning into this episode uh, i started in 2009 kind of with a big spreadsheet of lining up all the criterion titles in the order that they were originally released theatrically and i started in like 1921 with nanook of the north and i'm all the way up to 1971. So I've covered, you know, 50 years of, of film history uh, through my uh, blog and, and now my podcast. So uh, I'm just really excited that we've kind of forged this little connection here. I do look forward to both listening to uh, your future work and perhaps collaborating some more as we go forward from here. Because I also believe it's it's really important to get women's voices in the dialogue here. And uh, I really appreciate the energy. Obviously, your friendship comes through pretty strong. I like the banter and just kind of the, the vibe I get from, from uh, you know, you always start the episode with kind of a funny little uh, kind of... Uh, yeah, honorific you know, stuff and you're kind of the intro and you kind of give a title to savannah she's kind of like she got 
like royalty or something. She's got all these different <laughs> honorary titles uh, ascribed to her. But it, it really is. It's, it's a fun listen. And I, I really want to encourage listeners to, to check it out. Um, maybe we'll, we'll put some links in the show notes. Do you want to talk a little bit about your website, Stephanie, and then how people can connect with uh, you know, what you're doing there? Yeah, so not only do we have the standard Twitter and Instagram where we announce everything, um, so there's two places where you can listen to us. You can listen to us on YouTube by just looking up uh, Purple Noon. It's posted on my YouTube channel under Stephanie Conti, or you can simply go to audemicmedia.com. That is my website where um, not only will you find Purple Noon, but you'll find audio dramas that I've worked on and other things, other different of my projects. But those are the two main areas where you can listen and try out Purple Noon. And also, if you're not too sure on if you want to dedicate, because our episodes tend to be anywhere from like 40 minutes to an hour. Um, Occasionally on Instagram and Twitter, we will post a teaser. So that way you can listen to a minute and go, "Mm, is this something I want to listen to? Is there, they're going to talk about something I want to listen to. So we do have little teasers here and there, but the main episodes are on um, Audemic Media and YouTube. Excellent. Well, again, uh, my endorsement is uh, check them out. I know you've been uh, kind of linking up with some of the Facebook groups that I'm, you know, kind of a frequent contributor to. So we look forward to kind of getting to know you in those formats as well. So fantastic. Great to have you on, uh, both of you, and, and really looking forward now as we delve into these movies. So um, you, you ready to, to shift focus here and talk about uh, what we've got on the channel? Yeah, sure, which one are we starting with? Well, I think we're going to go in chronological order. Growing Up Female seems to be kind of the kind of foundation of this collection. Uh, this is about a 49, 50-minute uh, movie. Really, it's, I guess it's about a kind of the socialization of young women in suburban America. This was filmed yeah. in uh, Ohio. Xenia, Ohio, I think, is the is the is the kind of the setting. And it's really kind of a series of interviews with starting with girls, like, you know, kind of sort of just barely pre-adolescent girls, all the way up to housewives. So it's really kind of looking at a very specific slice of America, although it kind of diversifies and expands its range a little bit towards the end. Um, But, you know, like I said already, this is a this could have been snapshots from my growing up. I lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan and other suburban areas. I think in 1970, 71, I was living in Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh and Scranton uh, in those two different years. My family moved around a lot, but this felt like, yeah, this is just a slice of the American life that I knew. And mm-hmm. uh, I have a lot to say, but I really kind of eager to, what are some of your reactions? I mean, this is a story about how young women were raised, the expectations placed upon them, um, what happened if they chose to go along with the program or if they chose to push back and kind of assert their own individuality. Um, you know, who wants to, who wants to jump into this first? Um, I can. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, so with growing up female, what's surprised me the most, cause you know, I was born in 98. So I understood like the time, like in terms of the way I was growing up in that atmosphere, it wasn't necessarily like I couldn't relate to that necessarily. Mm -hmm. But what shocked me the most about growing up female was these interviews conducted with these young ladies and, you know, the one weird guy in advertisement. Um, (laughs) Yes, we'll get to him. What shocked me the most was was how relevant. Like I still hear these conversations today. These are voices from over, you know, 40 years ago. And 
I was just shocked at how relevant and how what these women were talking about and how they felt is things that I still see many, 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 many women talk about and express. And, you know, I was just I thought it was going to be more. I guess you could say I thought it was going to be a little more like their interviews were going to be more uptight. They were going to be more conservative. But instead, what you hear is these women still like, you know, kind of having to be a certain way just for the sake of them being female, having to act and having these expectations just simply for growing up female. Yeah, I agree with Stephanie. There, There were some parts that like was almost jarring. Like the one of the young ladies was, I, I believe it was her boss she was talking to and she was in cosmetology school and she was telling her what the qualities of a good wife are. So like, for example, she said the husband should never be expected to do housework. You have to always be attractive. So things like that, like I'm, I'm happy we've been progressive in for sure because, you know, you say something like that now and it's a little like, oh, mm. But one of the, I think, highlights and what impacted me the most was the beginning of the film, it states, by the time a girl is four, she already knows the rules of being female. And it sort of gives this explanation of like the stigma, oh, you know, girls grow up faster than boys, girls mature faster than boys, but it kind of brought to light like, do they really or do they have to? And I think that's still very, very prominent nowadays. Yeah, I, I, yeah, all those, that burden of expectations. I mean, for me, you know, as a boy, as a male, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I knew some of these things sort of indirectly, but to have it sort of spelled out so bluntly or plainly, uh, and, and that the women, the older women themselves are sort of the sources of this authority. It, it's not necessarily men saying, this is what I expect my wife to be, or this is what uh, a good female employee consists of, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really, I mean, there's a little bit of that. We'll, we'll get to the guy perspective here, but, but, you know, the very first interview was with a woman. Uh, she's a, I think a junior high teacher kind of teaching girls around 11, 12 years of age. And she's talking very specifically about the changes that, her students, her female students go through, you know, where they're kind of a little bit more focused on their friends and, and not really too concerned with their appearance by the beginning of whatever it is, seventh, eighth grade. And, but by the end of that year, it's all about boys. And, and she's really seems to be, you know, I mean, maybe this is just based on some observational stuff, but there also seems to be like this agenda or this kind of program that the the girls are sort of plugged into those are the mm-hmm. ones who are going to fit in and those who adapt to it are going to have a more successful you know adolescence and uh, high school career if you will but you know it's like it you know it, it's like am i supposed to feel uh, upset about this or is this kind of just people being people and, and society kind of governing itself through sort of some indirect means. But, and that's, that's, it is where I'm very interested again in, in hearing your perspective, because uh, to me, it feels like there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of assumption and there's not a lot of tolerance for anybody who just doesn't quite fit that mold. You know, I understand mm-hmm. that there's maybe a, a certain um, comfort level and, and some women fall pretty, easily or you know naturally into those expectations but you know i i kind of feel bad for people who you know their temperament their personality just doesn't align with with these values to me it seems Mm -hmm. like they're really set up for some 
some real hardship and even discrimination or persecution, if you want to use that word. Mm -hmm. So when watching growing up female, like as me growing up, I did face those common tropes, you know, when I wanted to go play and do things that, you know, weren't necessarily girly, you know, and it's always funny, like, especially nowadays, um, I'm not too sure if they had, you know, labels like them 40 years ago, but if I wanted to go play with the tomboys, I, or, you know, if I wanted to play with boys, if I wanted to hang out and do consider things that were, you know, more boy, you know, activities instead of girls activities, it wasn't like, oh, it's just what she wants to do. It was, oh, okay, she can do it because she's a tomboy. It's like if I wasn't girly, I was already given some other type of label yeah. to kind of fit into and to follow that protocol. Because it's like, oh, like at least growing up for me, it was like, oh, okay, she's not super girly, but she still has to fit into the protocol of a tomboy. Mm-hmm. And even today – um, even today, I face it all the time. I want to be a successful writer and director. And the amount of times I have been, you know, and people say it from their the, the, the goodness of their heart, especially family and stuff. And they try to say it in a way where it's like, you do know that is a male-dominated field. You mm-hmm, have two mm-hmm. exes against you, <laughs> not because I'm only female, but because I'm also Spanish. So people will always throw that in there. And I'm like, oh, great. But for me... At the end of the day, like even when I watch Criterions and, you know, the Criterion collection is filled with male movies, uh, movies directed by men, written by men, things like that. Mm -hmm. And at least for me growing up, I never thought of that. I just thought these are good directors. I never thought these are good directors for guys as the way people thought, oh, these are good directors for female. So watching this, like especially the, the young girl that is interviewed in growing up female. And she's like, and she's kind of very free. She just wants to do what she wants and not to have a label. That's the character out of all of these interviews that I personally related to the most, because even though I was told like, Oh, that's not female. Or then I was trying to put into the category of tomboy. I never at once in my life was told that I could just do whatever. Um, even though we have that expansion, like literally the tomboy expansion is just like an expansion pack to the regular game. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, and I mean, it did make things a lot, e- like a little bit easier, but you know, I, if I wanted, let's say I wanted to go get chocolate milk from a grocery store at 11 at night, people would be like, you can't, you're a yeah. woman. Yeah. yeah you're, you're gonna get or hurt. whatever. And right, like, right, right. Yeah. It, it's like, I never, and like, obviously if, you know, if I was a young boy, no one would blink twice mm-hmm. if I said, hey, it's 11 at night. I'm going to go get some chocolate milk, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I was just really perplexed and I was just really taken aback how even back then it wasn't always like women wanted to fit that box. And we were always made to believe, at least for me growing up, that women did want to be in that box. Meanwhile, it kind of just seemed like all they had to do was follow protocol and they didn't have a choice. I think you hit it on the mark about, you know, when girls get to a certain age, you are put into a box because it's interesting when when we hit about, I want to say 12 to maybe 13, it's almost assumed that we have to stop playing with boys. But, you know, you see boys playing out in the street and boys doing whatever they want until they're like 16, 17. But the women are expected at a certain age to maybe do other things more you know, and again, 
we've progressed a little bit, but I do think there is still that standard at a certain age, you do have to stop playing with boys or you're going to be put in that tomboy box. Um, you know, I, another thing I really liked about the film is it kind of harbored on, I was saying before, like wife responsibilities. Um, I just got married. Uh, what is it now? Five months ago. And it's very interesting what a lot of people have made the assumption about our roles. Um, I'm very, you know, equal. We are going to do housework together. I'm not, <laughs> not the maid. I'm not this. I'm not that. But it's interesting when, you know, you have, and especially from the older generations, where I'll get questions like, oh, I'm, I'm sure you're cooking good for him. I'm sure, you know, I, you're much busier now because you're cleaning the house all day. And I'm very quick. I'm like, no, we clean the house together. Thank you very much. But <laughs> yeah, I was fortunate to live in a home where like my father did a lot too. It wasn't, mm-hmm. I didn't have that also stereotypical role model of my mother just staying at home and cleaning and doing things. My father was a very good role model. But I've also met people that still in 2020 have this idea that that is a woman's role once she gets married. And I think the film does a good job at like, towards the end, especially what happens to these women if that is their only role. Yeah, Right. I mean, it's, it's delivered like so heavy handed. I mean, there, there really is this kind of almost condescending, you know, uh, implication. Like if you don't, if you don't do what a good wife is supposed to do, you almost might deserve whatever kind of crap you got coming for it. Not only yeah, from yeah. a disappointed husband, but the rest of society will sort of back him up because you're not doing your wifely duties. I mean, even by 1970, which, you know, this is this is a very transitional era. I mean, and a lot of the films I talk about in, in this podcast really talk about the sort of the cultural shifts that were going on from the you know 60s into the 70s. And, and a lot of the underlying values and assumptions that that uh, in particular you know middle-class american society and western society in general uh you know all societies were going through their own kind of transitions but there's a lot really you know happening sort of behind the scenes here because the fact that this film even got made uh is sort of a, a testimony to the fact that people were asking some really basic questions and saying does it really have to be this way <laughs> you know and yeah. and i think one of the skills of the filmmakers is that they're not clobbering you over the head with with uh sort of you know a an agenda that says this is how it should change or this is how it should look they're they're letting the people speak for themselves but they're presenting it in a way that says, you know, how does that really sound and how does that really fit mm-hmm. and how does that really honor the humanity of the of the young women and the girls who are sort of being shaped by by all these assumptions, by all these kind of projected values of what a good girl or a good woman or a good wife ought to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, David, can I ask you a, yeah, a quick question? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, since we're talking about the topic of, you know, because all three of these films can easily be considered, you know, fen- feminism films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, the way your upbringing is, what yeah. what does feminism mean to you? What is the definition for it for you? Because I feel like I think we should establish the the baseline of like what it means to not only you, but as of, you know, whether the concept of feminism means yeah. to us. Yeah, yeah that, that's a great comparison. And I'm glad you brought that up. So for me, feminism is um, sort of in that classic sense of that 70s transition where, you know, um, equal rights and opportunities became more of a, of a standard expectation that there's no 
good reason that it should be built into the system that people of a certain gender or certain race should be considered subservient or or in any way inferior to people of the of different races or genders or whatever so to me feminism is a it's kind of a, a disciplined body of, of thinking, of work, of writing, of dialogue, of theoretical development that says, let's really look at the assumptions, the gender roles, the expectations that are placed on both men and women. Uh, it's not, you know, necessarily just like a, you know, the, the crude stereotype, uh, negative stereotype of feminism is just a bunch of man haters. It's a bunch of women who, you know, can't mm-hmm. quite get with the program. And so they're bitter and, and cynical and all of that. To me, I, I see feminism as more of a, as a positive influence on society because mm-hmm. it, it, it challenges us to really think through how do we treat people. And, and if, if, uh, if an, a man and a woman in a marriage relationship want to, sort of pursue that, you know, very traditional role of a division of responsibilities. I'm not going to, you know, dispute that or say, well, that just automatically is not valid, but it should not be sort of imposed on, on every relationship. And likewise, women who, you know, choose not to marry, choose not to be mothers, who want to pursue a career, uh, want to express themselves in other ways in their relationships, uh, yeah. they deserve every bit of respect and opportunity to do that without having to face, you know, blowback or critical judgments because, again, they're not doing their womanly duty. You know, so that would be kind of my first take on on what I consider feminism. I would say I'm, I'm a male feminist, if you want to call me that. Um, I, I don't shy away from that label. I think at the end of the day, I wouldn't call you more so a, film, uh, a male feminist. I would call you just a good human. Yeah. You yeah. know, you yeah. expect That's from women than what you, you would expect from, you know, men in terms of the level of work, you know, depending on the person naturally. Like, there's no barriers between that. And I, it's sadly, feminism over the year has gotten misconstrued into this idea that women are better than men. Yeah. And I, I think that is it's the complete opposite direction. And I also think it's as just as wrong as Mm -hmm. our old way views of men being more than women. Um, I, I totally agree with what you said. I do think feminism is about a balance. It's about like, for example, the way I describe feminine feminism in my life is at the end of the day, when I win an Oscar, I don't want them to say Stephanie Conti, the female director. I just want them to say Stephanie Conti, the director. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want that because it, and people think that that's feminism when you add, oh, she's she's a female, let's heighten it. But in reality, you're taking away. You are taking away, uh, at least in my opinion, you are taking away, you're adding something to this title that anyone else could go by. And adding female just kind of makes it like, oh, we've had to put her in her own category to make it fair. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I don't want that. So I, I'm really happy that you share those views because I do think it's it's a very good view. I mean, there's no right or wrong view, but as a civilization, that view is very helpful and it helps us grow as a civilization. And let's be honest, there are still a lot of men that have very, I don't want to say backwards view, but still hold on to a lot of traditional things. Not saying that, you know, they're the advertising guy in the film per se, (laughs) but there are still men that are like, well, I, I think women can do things, but you know, men still or this or that. So it is refreshing that, you know, you consider yourself a, a male feminist. But, you know, like Stephanie said, you're just a good person at the end of the day. 
Well, I definitely think it's 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 important that our society um, continues to to grow sort of towards that orde- ideal um, uh, that that people can be themselves, and 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 that also means kind of like with race. You know, I'd, I don't I don't bind to the whole I'm colorblind. Well, no, it makes a difference to me what your ethnicity is, your your cultural back, background, because there's going to be some unique insights and perspectives that I, as a white suburban American guy, I, I just don't get. So I'm enriched to know, oh, you're African-American or you're Asian or Latina mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, because that to me is like informing me of life from a different point of view, but it, mm-hmm. it makes me a better person. And that's actually just makes life much more interesting and satisfying. Likewise, I don't want to just eliminate all the distinctions of gender, but there are lots of different ways of being a woman, just as there's lots of different ways of being a man, you know? Yeah. And, and so we can appreciate that. So I don't, I don't feel like you have to you know, delete the idea that this is a woman who's a director, or this is a woman who's telling her story about what it is like being a woman in this society. Um, mm-hmm. I want to know about that um, without having to deny the idea that, you know, there may be some, some you know, some differences of perspective, of orientation, all of that. Uh, that to me just makes the conversation that much more interesting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you do see um, that kind of entrenched uh, stereotypes and discrimination, that advertising executive. Let's just go ahead and get into that because <laughs> he, he is so ridiculous. But 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 at the same time, he's speaking with such a, a, an air of confidence, like he's really got it figured out. He really knows what's going on, you know. It's, it's not idea. only that, it's, it's very arrogant. It's very like, oh, oh yeah, it's I extremely, yeah. all the male population in, the, in 1971 agree. And that's why he uh, yeah. speaks, but like, yeah, this is how it is. Right. And this is how we can kind of manipulate the viewers to buying our products and to, you know, I mean, the, he talks about stirring up female anxiety, you know, the, the deodorant commercials and all of the, you know, oh, I'm not good enough. My hair isn't right. Or he's not going to look at me as attractive as, as I might be if I bought this product. You know, it's just, you know, and, and again, um, you know, when I came of age, I was like you know, 10, 11 years old when this, when this movie came out. I certainly didn't see it up until just recently. But, you know, I, I used to read like Mad Magazine and other types of cultural influences that tried to at least inform me of the game that was being played with mass advertising and political, you know, propaganda, manipulation of the populace, all of that. And so I've, I've always kind of tried to maintain that perspective of even, even with uh, cultural influences that I find attractive or persuasive, I try to say, well, what is it that I find attractive about that? Why is that con- message connecting with me? But then I also sort of lamentably have to watch uh, what I often see as really, you know, poor thinking, ignorant, prejudice, biased, um, and, and really exploitive um, influences that just seem to know how to make people do what they want to do. And it's, it's very, it's been a very discouraging aspect. And I, I will talk just a little personally about my mom and her situation. Um, you know, mm-hmm. as I've been watching these movies and my mother who just passed away earlier this month, uh, you know, she kind of came of age at this time. She was, you know, she was kind of one of those uh, middle American housewives. And over the course of her life, she went through two marriages that ended in divorce. And even though I love my dad and, and I've reconciled with my former stepdad, you know, there's still a lot of pain that I have to carry because I, you know, and I know in every relationship that that breaks up, there's always a two-way, you know, dialogue and 
shared responsibilities and all of that. But I, I still have a, a kind of a an unresolved um, sorrow that my mom, I think, suffered throughout her life because some of the expectations placed on her, some of the assumptions that you know the men in her life made about you know what they were obligated to do with her or how they were able to relate to her um i think she got up she got the short end of that deal and and when i watch some of these films i see women who are you know at best you know taken for granted or undervalued and at worst abused and and mistreated and th that kind of um male chauvinist mindset that infuses a lot of these uh, scenes, even women themselves who buy into that and teach those values to younger women, I just I just have such regrets because I feel like um, opportunities for life and growth and exploration and, and wisdom and understanding are kind of thwarted because they're so busy shoving women back into these boxes of what they're supposed to be like or how they're supposed to behave. And I just feel like yeah. that's very regrettable. It's, and, and it's, as, as I'm hearing from both of you, that, that influence has not completely gone away. You know, maybe there's some progress or there's a little bit more space for women to assert themselves, but you know, there's still a long ways to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just for like, it was not necessarily, I think what bugged me most with the advertising, although I do think this advertising, um, the guy in this film, although I do think his opinion was necessary to just show really how, how grand the juxtaposition between the women yeah. and the men and their opinions were in this film. But when he talked, it was very predatorial the way he talked and the way he spoke about women. And I personally, like what I wrote down in my notes, I was like, this guy reminds me of Ed Kemper in his interviews. Like it was very, um, just the way how he talked about, like in, in the scheme of advertising, how to get a woman's attention. And like when he discusses women's anxieties and stuff like that, it felt very creepy because of this predatorial aspect i mean i don't know if savannah felt that way that's or a really good felt that way, way to put it i i didn't think of that but it, you know i i think i've been kind of searching for the words and I, arrogance came to mind but predatorial is fantastic you hit it on the head because he literally you know talks about how he goes for the insecurities like his job is to prey on women's insecurities that's how he puts it exactly and there are a bunch of clips about the hair the makeup and all of the insecurities surround men. Is this man going to love me? Am, am I going to be able to keep my husband? And I think he says that at one point in the film. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, yeah, Steph, you definitely hit it on the nose there. Yeah, uh, and, and even you. just how the female body is packaged, you know, and, and how women themselves feel like they've got to sort of put the show on. I mean, you know, obviously there are some guys who get into working out and they want to make impressive specimens of themselves and all of that, but you know, let's face it, guys can be a lot more schlubby and get away with it than, than women can <laughs> in many cases. Yeah. And, you know, it's like not everybody has the same gene set, you know, to, to be all hot and fabulous like that. But women seem to be really, you know, as you said, preyed upon if they just can't fit into that mold. They work awfully hard and have to spend a lot of money and dedicate a lot of time to kind of hitting that mark. And if they don't, then they just kind of feel like crap because they can never quite measure up. Uh, you know, the fact is this guy's job is to is to make money to sell products. And he's gotten apparently pretty good at what he does. 
it is also very interesting that he feels as free to speak as bluntly and without any kind of euphemisms or self-checking because he can't really throw it out there so so plain and so you know uh, just kind of so arrogantly i mean he's probably thinking yeah i'm the guy i've got it going on and these people are very interested in my opinion because i'm kind of influencing you know how our culture uh, you know sells products and and receives these different messages so he's a bit full of himself but i i guess in a sense we're we're a little bit privileged to see sort of the unvarnished truth coming from his mouth because i i think a lot of those mindsets still exist today but people have learned how to couch their language a little bit less blatantly than this guy did yeah and i think at least in terms of personal experience that type of attitude where i've seen it the most and i was shocked that you know even in um 2020 2019 i would still see was when i worked in retail and the store that i worked in was like an all-female store And the amount of times that I would have women coming in and say, I'm looking for, like, I remember there was this um, very, very pretty, beautiful young woman, probably in her 30s. She came in and she was like, oh, like, uh, do you have any other shorts? And at at the time, we just didn't, it wasn't, we didn't have a lot of shorts at the time. And I was like, no. And I was like, and I looked at her shorts. I was like, I really like your shorts. Like, I think they're really pretty. And she just looks at me and she's like, my husband doesn't want me wearing these outside. So apparently like she had met out like to go to lunch or something with her husband. And he said, I don't like your clothes. You're going to the closest store available and you're changing. And I saw that so many times. Mm. That is still the biggest area where I see this type of issue. Mm. You know, I've seen a lot more men like, go, okay, if they want to work, they can work, but they still have to blah, blah, blah. Like I've seen those still, those little stereotypic ones fade away, but the appearance, how men expect women to see, like to look, whether it's through dress, whether it's through makeup, hair, whatever it may be, that's the most prevalent area that I've still seen as of, you know, within the most recent years. There's you know, also kind of towards the end of the film, you know, there, we're kind of, kind of talking into older women and kind of their views on marriage and relationships. Uh, any particular sections that, you know, Savannah, do you have any maybe scenes of, of other conversations in the film that you want to bring to our attention? I, I guess it would be, I, I think it was the last one where we're, they were interviewing a mother and a wife. And mm-hmm. I really liked her interview because she was – basically talking about how it's a necessity for women to have a life outside of their children. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really powerful because even today there's this, you know, there's mom shaming. There's this assumption if like you don't spend a good amount of time with your kids, if you're not giving your kids your all, you're a bad mother. So I really thought the fact that she was talking about like, no, like you're going to go crazy if all you do is talk to your children all day and women Mm -hmm. need a life outside of the home was brave, especially for the seventies. And even now there's, there's a big uh, stigma behind women doing things outside of their children. Yeah. You know, because again, back in, in, in this slice of society, at least, um, you know, that was kind of the ideal, you know, the husband's out there doing his thing, you know, working in the dog eat dog, uh, rat race, jungle, whatever metaphor you want to use for the working (laughs) world while mother is at home, you know, raising the children and, and, you know, what are the children themselves but some kind of an elaborate status symbol? It's just kind of this weird little 
warpage of what is life really about anyways, you know, and, mm-hmm. I, and, and it's sort of this cycle that just kind of is, is self-perpetuating. And yet you see kind of the, the pressure that these women are under because on the one hand, they're, they kind of have a, a, a an understimulated, I mean, their, their world is very self-contained. It's, it's at home with the kids and that's all it really is. You know, dad checks in and, and does his little thing and, you know, pats the kids on the head and maybe does a little, you know, recreational activities on the weekends. But again, I, I very strongly relate to that. My dad was away on business trips quite a bit of our life. And so really it was my mom, my sister and me. And, and we moved, like I say, um, almost every year. So I sort of experienced American suburbia from all these different locations growing up as a child. And I saw my mom put a lot of, a lot of great work into being creative. Uh, we were always doing like craft activities and, you know, going places, but I could also tell there was certain, uh, a lack of fulfillment because, she was very much in a sort of a subservient position to my dad. And, and we, as a family, just sort of had to put up with whatever his next career move was, which was the main mm-hmm. reason we moved so much. And um, ultimately, you know, again, I don't want to, you know, get excessively personal, but, you know, my dad had an affair with a coworker, and that pretty much brought the marriage to an end and created a whole cascade of other dramas and, and mm. issues and, Memories and heartbreaks that uh, resulted in my mom's second marriage uh, fairly soon after the first one broke up. And then things went their own way. So again, <laughs> I guess I just have to bite my own tongue and resist uh, over-disclosure. But mm-hmm. my goodness, there was just so many scenes in, in all really all three of these films that just really tugged at my heartstrings. Of course, I've been a little bit more emotionally sensitive, just just thinking about the events of my mom's life yeah. and uh, and how her experience really was was shaped by so many of the dynamics that we see portrayed really in all three of these films. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So is this maybe a good time to switch over to Janie's Janie? Is there any last little comments we have? I mean, I think growing up female is really a very kind of essential, you know, if you, yeah. even if you choose not to view all 24 films in the collection, and I'm just getting started myself, this one feels very foundational. It sounds like you do agree with that. Absolutely. I feel like it's out of, you know, although I did like the other two short films, I feel like growing up female is the one that you're going to take away the most from. Yeah, it's, it's I think very it's direct. You had a lot of perspectives, for sure. Yeah, and I think you're right. You're hearing multiple voices in this one from from a lot of different angles. Um, you also got the, the the black experience, a young African American woman who's kind of thinking about her own future and her own relationships, and it kind of gets into a little bit more of that. Uh, you know, kind of class solidarity stuff towards the end as well. So, but let's kind of switch over to Janie's Janie, which is much more of a focus on a particular woman. Um, She's in New Jersey. um, And uh, I don't know, who'd like to maybe give a little summary? Uh, Savannah, can I ask you just to kind of give an overall impression of uh, Janie's Janie? And then we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah. Um, So Janie's Janie, I'm not going to say it was my favorite, but it was definitely the most personal because I saw a lot of my grandma in uh, Janie. So it's sort of a documentary about this woman and her roles with different men in her lives and sort of her new role as a single mother and an independent woman. Um, it reminded me of my grandmother, my father's mom, because she was a single mother. My gran- my grandfather left uh, really early in the picture. And, you know, my father tells me all 
her stories and how her, you know, she struggled raising three kids on her own. So I did see a lot of Janie and my grandma. But I think this was, and also a very brave film because this is about a woman raising, I think she had six children or five children. It was a pretty sizable bunch. I didn't get a full head down there. By herself and what the struggles of being an independent woman was back then. It's really, it's remarkably frank, you know, and and the thing that struck me was just kind of, the backstory of how she got herself into this situation in the first place. I mean, she grew up in an abusive home. Let's, let's just face it. Her father used to physically beat her, um, assuming she's telling the truth and I have no reason to doubt, but you know, he was mm-hmm. just this really angry controlling man and he took out a lot of his wrath on, on his teenage daughter. And that kind of led her to this kind of ultimate decision. I got to leave home. And as she put it, she said she couldn't just tell her mom, I want to get married. She kind of allowed herself to get pregnant so that they had to get married because that was the code of the time. If you get pregnant, the guy has to marry the girl and you got to make a best of it as you can. And I'm just like, holy cow, this woman really just kind of made a desperate decision. You could fault her perhaps for playing games with her life or for allowing herself to conceive a child um, for quote unquote selfish reasons. But again, she was in an abusive household. What other options does she really have? You know? And mm-hmm. so I just, I, my heart went out for the, to her for this incredibly painful dilemma that she was in. And, mm-hmm. you know, she made a very questionable choice you know? and she's not exactly a woman that you think of as any kind of a role model, but she's, she's doing what she's got to do and she's surviving there's certainly some strength that she's showing in all of this, but you know, there's also things like just smoking around the kids. <laughs> it's like, I, that doesn't really fit. <laughs> that doesn't fit so well in, in 2020, but uh, Stephanie, let me hear some of your thoughts or reactions to Janie's Janie. So I enjoyed Janie's Janie and I especially loved the meaning behind the title. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, Janie herself said, you know, I'm done being, you know, my father's Janie. I'm done being, you know, Charlie's Janie, which was her husband's name. She's like, now I'm just Janie's Janie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so incredibly important to realize at the end of the day, this woman would rather be on her own with six kids than to be with like the men in her life. And that just shows how – because. I can't imagine, uh, like, without substantial reason, any woman wanting to take on a whole, not only the parent, the grandparent, you know, the maid, the everything, every role, the teacher, being all in one person and doing that without something. And the fact that she did that all on her own, without help of her husband. And one of the things that shocked me the most was at the time, um, even uh, after the divorce, in terms of child support, to feed six kids, they only wanted to give her, I think it was... $40 $40 a week. I think it was $40 yeah, a week, something like that. which at the time, like that wouldn't have been nearly no, enough to no. properly take care, to clothe, to feed and do all that. And just to see how society said, Hey, you don't want to be a married woman here. And they pretty much set it up to where she would fall flat on her face. But Janie has a lot more resilience and a lot more strength within her. And I, I thought she had, in terms of like a movie, she had a, a from what she explained about her life, she had a great transformation. How you know right. she got away from her abusive father, she got away from her abusive husband, and then not only was she starting to take care of herself and her kids, but she started this thing where she was helping take care of other women in her situation. And I thought that was 
completely admirable mm-hmm, of her mm-hmm. and as a human. Right, right. There, there's I, some pretty – well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, um, I was just going to say, I don't know about you, Steph, but when she said she left her husband, I was like, yes, because they were <laughs> – I was so yeah. excited. I was like, good for you because there are so many women, especially in that time, that just stayed because – like Steph, they felt like they had no choice. Why? Who would want to mm-hmm. take on six children and only get forty dollars a week? That is such a brave choice. And it, you know, the whole getting pregnant to leave the house. Yeah, that's really sketchy. That's a sketchy thing to do. But I think that's <laughs> it's an act of des- desperation, though. I mean, yeah, really in a woman's right. mind, that, that's and at the time, with how the education was for women, like think about this: getting a career and moving out, getting a job and stuff like that wasn't probably even on the table for her. No. You know, saying I'm going to move out, I'm going to work here, I'm going to make money and live on my own. That wasn't even tangible. She had to bring new life into the world just to start her own, and that to me was very baffling and very jarring. Because sure. you see situations today with with girls saying, you know, leaving domestic violence and leaving abusive, and they go get a job and they start on their own and they start off at nothing, and then they slowly build on top of that where this woman literally had to create new life to start her own. And then that yet again was kind of a trap. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And I was just going to say in a way she is a role model because so many women back then were dealing with abuse, just abuse in the house, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe not even physically a lot of the time, just emotional abuse and her saying, yeah, like get out. I'd rather deal with six kids than deal with you all day is a power move and i was excited so i think a lot i think a lot of people should watch this movie just to see how strong this woman really was yeah and i i do i do endorse and agree with with what you're saying here because given the very limited range of options she's got she's making the best i mean she's in a very let's say flawed and corrupt society that's going to not only just throw a little pittance of, you know, 40 bucks a week or month or whatever it is for uh, you know, a woman raising six children on welfare, but there's also going to be all the kind of scandal and, and again, condescension. Uh, you're one of those welfare Queens, you know, you're just one of those sit at home mothers who's not really doing anything productive for society. Uh, but here's your little pittance of money. Uh, so just shut up and deal with it. I mean, and believe me, um, in my life, uh, I've heard many people say very derogatory things about people on welfare, and that goes down to even you know we got to drug test everybody who's receiving a you know a SNAP benefits or whatever. It's just you know mm-hmm. it's just this kind of really rotten uh, dismissal of people who you don't really know their story. You're just drawing huge conclusions without really understanding what got them to this place. And let's face it, why do we not want to put even taxpayer money into feeding children who don't really have many other resources to on? We've got to raise these kids. We've got to make the best of you know bad situations. And the fact we live in a society where you know, domestic violence and spousal abuse, uh, drug addiction, crime, poverty, all those things are very real. So we've got to alleviate those conditions the best we can just for the sake of the children and and even the adults who, who are, you know, are stuck in some pretty, pretty tough situations and, and bad neighborhoods. And, and that's the thing. I mean, this, this is a, you know, focusing on an individual and her family, and then you get a little bit of the sense of community towards the end as you sort of recognize she's not just going to sit at home, you know, watching soap operas and, and taking her money. She's really getting out there in society, connecting with other women who, 
whose experience overlaps hers and saying, hey, let's kind of pool our resources. Let's let's get together. Let's be strong. Let's encourage each other and let's make some better things happen. So, yeah, even though there might be some some, you know, some personal habits, some situations where she's getting pretty snappy towards her kids. Hey, she's tired. She's working hard. You know, Uh, we all have our limits. And so you see. Uh, some pretty raw footage of of mom in action here, but I but I do appreciate mm-hmm. the the overall tangent of this film. It's not a pretty it's not a pretty scenario that we're looking at here. It's not meant to be, uh, but it is it is a reality that that uh, you know requires action and needs to be addressed. And really, I, I think the purpose of a film like this is to you know try to both connect with women who maybe can relate to these circumstances that we see on screen and also to people whose maybe you know eyes are have have to be opened to realize that you know people on welfare are human beings and that they have legitimate needs and concerns and need to be taken seriously and just just to, to get the respect that you know how much strength does it take for her to you know you know, just keep, keep it afloat, you know, keep it moving forward when so many obstacles are stacked against her. Completely agree. Completely agree. For sure. Yeah. All right. Any, anything else we want to say about Janie's Janie before we move on to Joyce at 34? I'm ready. It's a good, it's a, it's a good half hour. And so is Joyce at 34. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I know Savannah, I think you had mentioned in our talk the other day that this was your favorite of the three. I'll I'll give you the chance to kind of intro this one as well. And we've got Stephanie's take as well. Yeah. So Joyce at 34 is about a female filmmaker and she's entering her journey through motherhood and trying to balance her career and the reason it was my uh favorite uh there's actually two reasons but the first one is because i feel like not all but most women could relate to this trying to be a mom but also loving your career and and not leaving that and wanting to do that um so that's why i I thought it was awesome because you know this is something even this came out in 1974 you said even now this would be a great film for most women to watch because I think almost everybody could relate to something like that. Uh, Stephanie, what did you think? Because I know, you know, you being a director, um, an aspiring director and stuff, I'm sure you would relate to that a lot as well. Absolutely. This one too ended up being my favorite out of all of them because um, for me personally, the fact that this woman was a director and kind of was able to have it all at the end of the day was like, oh, this relief for me because I get told all the time, (laughs) like, you, you want to be a director, like, you know, you're going to have to make a choice at one, at, at the end of the day, like, are you going to be a mother or a director? And obviously those are two different, like, those are two different pathways I definitely want to explore. And I want to, you know, dive into at some point in my life. And I want the best of both worlds. And I absolutely loved how even in the seventies with Joyce that she showed you can, yeah, she's like, you absolutely can. And I loved the idea of liberation, the concept of liberation for mothers in this film, where it's at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you can do your job, you can do what you love, but you can come home and still feel like a good mother. And I thought that was, and I think that's, especially for me, that's a big concern that I've had. Like when considering, you know, down the road, my future, like, am I going to be an absent mother? Is my kid going to know a nanny more than they know me and stuff? But at the end of the day, a balance is always achievable. And Joyce clearly 
grab that balance. And I just love the concept of liberation in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. The title Joyce at 34 uh, is kind of sort of a self portrait. She's one of the directors, co-directors of this film. Uh, And it's also the, the year that she gives birth, you know, and, and I think this is another thing to recognize, especially for this time, uh, a first time mother age 34 was almost not unheard of, but very unusual, let's just say. And there's some interview yeah. clips with, with Joyce's mom where, you know, Joyce's mom is both relieved, but also kind of amazed that she actually went ahead and had a baby because in, in society at that time, at least in certain circles, if you didn't have your first baby by, you know, 22, 23, that's like, well, boy, you're kind of getting over the hill there, you know, or whatever. And, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, she was kind of part of a trend, which has certainly been established in recent decades of women establishing themselves in their careers, uh, doing the pursuits of whatever creative sorts. It doesn't even have to be a job. It could be some other type of interest or pursuit or just growing as a person, just coming into their own personal maturity before they take on the task of, of motherhood. And that in itself was kind of a revolutionary change. I mean, my mother was a teenager when I was born and uh, I was the reason that she and my dad got together. I mean, they were, they had already had a relationship and there'd been, you know, some years of dating and all of that, but they got married ultimately because I kind of came along and that sort of had to happen. Um, Joyce is kind of taking a very different approach. And again, I just want to emphasize that was, that was almost scandalous or, or problematic for some people. Uh, and she's, in a sense, kind of a pioneer and saying, you know what, you can, you can do this. Uh, a woman's body is very capable of giving birth to healthy children once they're in their early thirties, you know, and, and of course <laughs> even older than that. But again, there was a very entrenched mindset that, you know, you, you get married out of high school, maybe you do a little bit of college if you're going to be, you know, a little bit more educated, but boy, by the time you're 24, 25, you know, there better be a kid or two or else mom, you know, the, the, the potential grandmother is thinking, I'm never going to have grandchildren. When's the baby yeah. coming along? All that kind of stuff. I, I mean, obviously you're, you're both, you know, still fairly young and we're in a different era, but have either of you well, faced actually, those questions? I mean, Savannah, you're married now. So there's, yeah, I you, I you take those questions. Nobody knows. Uh, so basically, yeah, from, I've been married for five months and I've had at least five people ask me, you know, when you're having a baby. Usually I go, none of your business or never because right, I don't right. think it's anybody's business. But mm-hmm. yeah, I there is this stigma of like – and it's also uh, – one of the things I love about the film, there, there's this commentary from her friend. And her friend's like, no, I'm good. And they're all kind of like, well, aren't you afraid you're going to miss out in life, miss out on being a mother? And she mm-hmm. goes, which is an awesome response, I'm not the one missing out on life. You guys are because you're home with your kid all the time. And I'll like, oh, <laughs> this is what I'm going to tell everybody when they ask me because yeah. I don't I don't plan on having kids till a lot later in life, mm-hmm. maybe even mm-hmm. Joyce's age. And it's almost kind of this like, oh, like why would you wait so long? Why would you wait 10 plus years to have a kid? And I, I saw that through this film and, and that's one of the reasons it's my favorite because – she has kids way later in life. And like you said, like that was almost unheard of. And then her friend's like, nah, I'm good. I'm 34. I'm still good. So I I love that. And I think it's still a stigma today on having kids older, waiting a long time to have kids. I know people my age that are pregnant and Mm -hmm. I can't 
fathom. I'm still a child. I'm still a kid. I drink chocolate milk and stuff. I'm just like, I can't have a baby. But yeah, especially from the older generation, I would say it's almost expected that once you get married, and if you, especially if you get married young, that you're you're going to pop out a baby, even in 2020. And I'd also like to add in, so before I watched this film, Savannah watched this film. <laughs> and for those of you who may not have seen it, there is a birth scene within the first two and a half minutes of the film. And I'm doing laundry. Savannah gives me a call. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And she just screams into the phone, I just threw up in my mouth. And I'm like, what? And she's like, I just watched Joyce at 34. There's a birth. You see her vagina. There's a birth. And she's freaking out all over the place. And that was by far, like, I, because she's never called me up and done that before. But I have to say, David, thank you for that experience. Thank you for recommending this film because yeah. I will hold that against her for years to come. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and let me tell you, that. <laughs> right? Well, little trigger warning: this this is not just a birth scene. This isn't like a call the midwife type of scene. This is like right on, right up in the business there. So <laughs> you're you're seeing the baby coming right out uh, through the birth canal, and it's it is it's it's pretty shocking, pretty intense. Uh, I I have seen film of of the, that event in the past, but I wasn't necessarily expecting it. And again, this is the director putting herself her live delivery on camera so there's an incredible bravery again some people might say that's going a little more far, farther than they need to go but she really is trying to get down to some very fundamental basics here yeah. and showing the process of birth with her husband there with this little mask on and and you know just that 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 moment of discovery here's this new precious person in my life uh you know she is a liberated woman she is a feminist but she's also a very proud and happy mother and you see you know different scenes of them raising their daughter and and uh you know coming of age just a little bit i think that the film was made over the course of a year i think the girl uh was born in 1971 the film has a 72 release date and i think uh, there's some some scenes that are even dated early 72 when it starts looking at some of the filmmaking aspect of of joyce's life so some really fascinating conversations what do you all think about the the the, the dinner table conversation with all these women who are like former school teachers and kind of talking about their experiences as career women and presumably in the you know 50s and 60s. I am so happy you pointed that out because I wrote it down because I was that to me was the most shocking thing because I you know growing up in today's age we look at teachers as like selfless heroes you know these like at least today you know majority uh both mom and dad work yeah. so these teachers are responsible and they're responsible for education so i've grown up in a household where not only my mom is a teacher but even before she became a teacher you know teachers were like the unsung heroes in terms of families and the fact that in during this time these ladies at the table just started disregarding it as a career where it's like and and you have to keep in mind, all of these women, most of them grew up as stay-at-home moms. So it was like, what's the point of a teacher if they, if they, if, you know, I'm already raising my kids? And the first thing I thought was like, not only how far we've strayed away from that opinion, but for those, you know, we're under quarantine right now. We're during a pandemic. And I really hope these parents who are now have to be at home with their kids who might have, you know, taken teachers for granted. I really hope they... They truly understand the challenge of a teacher is, yeah. you know, and I, I, I was, I was happy that we were able to 
kind of talk about that because mm-hmm. my mom's a teacher and my mom's a high school teacher. Mm. And yeah. if anyone today would disregard the fact like, oh, she's the high school teacher, they have kids and stuff. But it's like, really? Because my mom, like, I would say she, she's in a public high school and my mom gets at least two or three kids a year that, you know, every semester that go, hey, I'm suicidal. Mm-hmm. And so my mom has to take on not just more than tossing out grades or, you know, giving them exams and just passing, failing or acing them. Like it's it's become so much more. Yeah. Um, I think the role of the teacher has just grown so much more today. Now, Savannah, you are currently on the path of becoming a teacher. So what did it feel like hearing that? You know, what's interesting because like Stephanie was saying, like people like Stephanie's mom are truly superheroes nowadays. And when you look at these women who said a lot, we had to be teachers because there was no other career for us. This was the only thing suitable for a woman. It's amazing, but also very sad because I'm sure they were like rock stars in their role, but that was their only choice. And, you know, it's, I'm very grateful to live in a time where like, I get to choose to be a teacher. I didn't have to just take it because it was the only thing that like was a stable and good paying job for the time. But another thing that did catch my attention is they also have this guilt for not being at home. Mm-hmm. All the mothers would say, like, I, my kid would just be happy if I get sick and stay at home just because they would see me. Yeah, and, be a you know, real mom, I think one of them says, you know, like, yeah. wow, what a, what a horrible thing to have to hear from your child. <laughs> where, where do they pick that up? You know, somebody taught them to think exactly. in those terms. Wow. Yeah. Um, and as someone who hopefully is going to school to be a uh, teacher and and does want to be a mother one day in the far, far future. It's a very interesting thing to see. Even then women were struggling with like, like their purpose, like, all right, like I want to be this great teacher, but I also should be home with my kids. It's this inner battle. And Mm -hmm. it was a very, I think it was an awesome thing, an awesome thing to see, but I also think it was very sad because this is what women have had to deal with for generations. Yeah, well, and again, I, I'm gonna just go back to my mom and her story. And one of the one of the real, you know, burdens that that I bear is just thinking about um, the talents that I knew my mom had and her abilities and and her creative potential. And I just it just feels like, in some ways, the 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 constructs of our society, the expectations of what women should or could or are allowed to do. Um, have just really throttled a lot of potential. And I, I just feel like that's just, it's, it's, it's sad in, in, a, in a really deep way. And again, I, I don't want to, I mean, there are certain things that are just unchangeable and, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to say my mom had a terrible life. Um, you know, there was a lot of happiness and a lot, a lot of love in our family. And, you know, she was a champion. She triumphed over a lot of adversity. And so I have, you know, the utmost respect and, and appreciation for, for what she endured and what she overcame and, and how she continued to advocate for herself, for her kids, our family, and really serve as a model of strength. Uh, it's just, it's just, it just kind of sucks that she had to, had to put up with as much bullshit as she did. Yeah. Uh, and, and to think about how many other women whose life scripts kind of follow that same template. That's like, can we try to do something better than what, we've inherited from previous generations. I guess that's to where I'll say I am progressive. I I think let's learn from our past. I mean, I certainly, I'm a traditional 
you know, monogamous married guy. I've raised four kids to adulthood. I've worked a steady job. I've worked with the same organization for over 30 years. So I'm, I'm a stable guy. Uh, and, and I like, you know, traditional things as much as a lot of people, maybe not as much as anybody, because I'm also saying we, we can do better. And I yeah. think that's, that's really the, my takeaway from these films is that they're not just dumping the past just for the sake of being radical or revolutionary. They're saying, you know, the, the, the nostalgia and the, the, the status quo ain't all it's cracked up to be, <laughs> you know, uh, there has been some, mm-hmm. some real, there's some, been some real suffering. There's been some real lost opportunity uh, that can be avoided if we kind of take a fresh look at things, learn lessons from what's happened before us and, and strive to do better. And I, and I feel like that's kind of the, uplift or the inspirational aspect of these films even though they they also put some kind of sad situations in front of us as well mm-hmm. absolutely yeah so yeah uh, you know you know, kind of what's what's kind of your summaries maybe we can start winding things down i've got a few other things i think we both or all three of us have other things to move on to so i i think we've given some pretty decent coverage to these three films but uh you know just for for maybe viewers who might be uh still ambivalent about checking them out. Uh, Stephanie, let me ask, what's, what's your kind of takeaway from these three films and, and uh, how do you want to recommend them to uh, potential viewers there? Okay. So my three takeaways from these films is that all of these films, whether or not, I, I don't think like when for the person who watches, I don't think you're going to take away and say, this is the best movie ever. No, right. but I do think that when you sit down and watch this, you're going to get a little insight. Um, especially if you're a woman, you're definitely going to get a lot more appreci- appreciation. I think the average woman um, in today's society will take away a lot of appreciation that, you know, they don't have to go through the exact um, hardships as women had to go through back then. Um, but I think this is a, this, all, all three of these films are for everyone. They're not just for women. I think it's for everyone. I think it's, uh, educational, I think it's meaning. And this is one of those things where like, no matter where you stand, if uh, on the line, don't make your decision on emptiness, get to know both sides of the the coin before you flip it and make your decision. Mm. Um, but overall, my favorite was uh, Joyce at 34. Um, I felt it was the most uh, it was my favorite because I love, like I said, their aspect of uh, liberation. But despite that being my best, I still think all three films in total are just fantastic and are important. Excellent. Savannah? Yeah, just to sort of uh, hop on what Stephanie said, I, I do think these films are super important to see. And they are for everybody. I think for women, it's it's very empowering. And there's a lot, you know, we have to to go for from here. There's still a lot of work to do, but it's also like, we're very blessed to live in a more progressive time. And I think for men, it could just show how much women do and have done for generations. And hopefully there'll be more of an appreciation and sort of a learning experience from that. Um, But yeah, my favorite was Joyce at 34 as well. And I think this is definitely something everybody should watch. For sure, it, it's it's a really big learning tool. Yeah, I think the other thing too is I I really like the the showcase that these three very modest, very humble, straightforward films uh, provide to say this is how kind of uh, low budget, homegrown cinema can can accomplish really important things. You know, you're right, uh, Stephanie. This isn't like the most cinematically innovative, you know, avant garde, groundbreaking type of thing. It's just ordinary people who say, "Hey, let's get a camera, let's tell our stories, 
uh, let's try to communicate on a very direct level with anybody who happens to watch it. Uh, you know, these are films that were probably distributed in like, you know, 16 millimeter educational reels. You could rent them and show them in your like neighborhood, uh, you know, activist group or maybe mm-hmm. PTA meetings or just, you know, show them in a, in a church basement just to raise consciousness or, or wherever at the local uh, I don't know, whatever, some, some kind of gathering place where people could just kind of encounter people, you know, other folks who were, were raising questions, uh, initiating conversations and, and, you know, maybe rethinking some of their old assumptions. So, uh, yeah, this is, this is kind of stuff that's been dragged out of obscurity. These are not films Mm -hmm. that ever had any kind of real long shelf life. Uh, you're not going to see a lot of critical discourse. I mean, I looked up a few links on a few, uh, short articles that have been written over the years, but these really have been kind of buried in the vaults for a long time. And I do really have to commend the Criterion Channel for making them available. And so, uh, yeah, there's a lot more yet to be discovered. I will definitely uh, be plunging further into this set. Uh, and I'll even try to make a commitment to watch all 24 of them. There's also a couple of really nice little uh, introductory pieces, kind of some kind of uh, kind of a guided entree into the collection with some of the filmmakers uh, kind of giving an overview. And then the woman who curated this whole set at the Metrograph theater in New York city a couple of years ago. Um, I think that's kind of where these films were brought together. It's kind of a festival or a, kind of a retrospective type of thing. And now criterions make them available uh, to people who subscribe to the streaming service. So um, Stephanie Savannah, I have such uh, enjoyment uh, from getting to know you, both of you and had a great time today talking these films through with you. Uh, tell Same us, here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit more, uh, you, you know, put the links out there uh, and what do you got coming up on Purple Noon? I'm kind of curious to see uh, what's uh, what's in store. So as of today, so today is, what is today's date? That's a very good question. Today's Sunday. the 24th. Yeah. Yeah. Today's, today's the 24th uh, Sunday. So as of this day, um, I think we did one of our best episodes that's come out today and we discussed the topic of chasing amy Mm. um kind of like one of the it and it's funny because i i know the director so i personally messaged him and i said hey we're gonna start reviewing criterions what should we do he was like i want you to review the most controversial film in the criterion chasing (laughs) amy not solo not (laughs) antichrist but chasing amy was his desire um but in terms of both of us and as like reviewers, I feel like that is this Chasing Amy has been one of our most um, strong suited episodes. I feel like it's one of our most re- well-rounded episodes as we discuss not only what it's like being a woman, but we also talk about the topic of sexuality. Mm-hmm. So by the time you're listening to that, that will already be out. Um, as for me personally, I just released a short film that can, the links and everything to it can be found on my website, Audemic Media, That's as well right. as a teaser and everything. So, yeah. Well, you but know, did you say Savannah? I couldn't no, really you hear said, you. I just heard it. You heard, uh, it's a, it's a short story. You said short film. Did I say short film? Yeah. Uh, it's a short story. <laughs> my bad. confused, but it's really good. Everyone should read it. It's really good. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I definitely endorse that. And it's really been cool to kind of see uh, your your multiple talents there, Stephanie. I wish you all the best. I think oh, you've had you. some pretty good early returns on the story, uh, kind of making some chart news over on Amazon. And it's just it's really cool to, to, to connect with a couple of young women who uh, have this creative energy going on. So um, I definitely will look to have you back on 
the program here again, and maybe we can collaborate Ooh, over your way. Yeah. Um, and I and I do want to give uh, listeners the strongest endorsement. Check out their episodes. There's a lot. Uh, you know, there's something for everybody. They've covered so many films over these last couple of months that uh, there's sure to be something that uh, will grab, grab your interest. So check out their website. Again, links will be in my show notes for this episode. And uh, look forward to just building our friendship as we go forward from here so thanks purple noon for uh making making my day today uh thank you david for having us on here for sure right. we were so excited as soon as we got the thing we were like oh yes because all at the end of the day what we thrive on is just being able to talk about films yeah so i mean if you're saying we can come back and talk about films that's a perfect afternoon for me <laughs> It's, For a, sure. it's, a, it's a good time. Yeah, excellent. Well, my next mm-hmm. episode is going to talk about switching gears. The next one is going to be Straw Dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Peckinpah, notoriously violent, Dustin Hoffman, uh, switching wow. from early 70s feminism to uh, yikes. <laughs> straw that's, dogs. A sh- that's a sharp right turn. That's really a sharp right <laughs> turn to go from this to there. Uh, but well, hey, uh, variety. Well, you know, we've done a few of those kind of neck snappers on this podcast just because of the chronological <laughs> scheme. So uh, we'll, 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 we'll deal with it just fine. So we'll be getting that one out in a while. I've got some other projects in the works as well. So uh, stay tuned, listeners. We'll be coming back to you in the near future. But thank you for listening today. And we'll be talking to you all right down the road. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.